Hello, and welcome back to The Trigger Warning. Here at Queer Pressure Podcast, we like to let you guys know about any sensitive content so that we can all have a safe and groovy time. This is a pretty tame episode, but there are mentions of homophobia and coming out of the closet. If you're not up to hearing about either of those topics today, that's all right. We'll see you next week. As for the rest of you, thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 2, Shit's Creek. Hi, everybody. I'm Maddie Gray. And I'm Katherine Johnson, and you're listening to Queer Pressure Podcast, a critical exploration of queerness in media as an act of radical self-love. We are so glad you've decided to join us. Not me. Okay, a couple things. Mm -hmm. We're going to post this in like a couple weeks, so who knows what date it is that you guys are listening to this. But for us, it's coming very close to the one-year anniversary of the world shutting down. That's true. Getting nostalgic. I mean... Are you getting nostalgic? Because I'm starting to feel like maybe March was just a year long. It, it feels weird that it's been a whole year because just this afternoon, um, as I'm like setting my stuff back up to record and it feels spring, I'm like, oh my God, this feels like last year when we were first starting. And it was like the deep, deep quarantine, the, the part where you like actually didn't leave your house for 14 days. Oh, yeah. And I like went to the corner store and felt terrible about it because I was like you just got you got COVID because you couldn't stay home you know Mm -hmm. like stopped going on walks because I got too frustrated with people getting close to me oh how does it feel to have gone the whole year without getting COVID one of the lucky few I know you wouldn't know um I wouldn't (laughs) I don't know I always think I have COVID it's it's weird because at my job, um, we get tested between three and five days a week. So, but I also have a job that's like we work and then we have time off and we work and we have time off because I work on TV shows. And so I'm on an off time right now and I take for granted the time when I'm on because I never have to worry about having COVID because if I have it, I'll know. That's, that's true. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you're off and then you're back like everyone else where like every little thing <laughs> Is like, do I have COVID? Like, like the last couple of days I've had um, like an arm ache, which is probably just like carpal tunnel. But <laughs> I was like, I bet that's a muscle ache. When was the last time you took your temperature <laughs> and had to like <laughs> dig out the thermometer? Well, what's funny is my time hop today was me taking a picture of my temperature being high. So that had just started, like oh, the wow. paranoia. Yeah, this has been one long sustained trauma <laughs> that we've all yeah. worldwide been experiencing together. Um, so thanks for joining us. Nothing. <laughs> thanks for nothing. Another thing. Might I go on a tangent right at the top? Great. Oh, Here please. we go. please. Only because this is not a queer issue, but there are queer people who this is an issue for. Therefore, it could be a queer issue. Okay. Because some queer people are disabled and therefore this could also be a queer issue. Sure. Um, Sia. Oh, um, only because a lot Ugh. of the conversations uh, around it keep reminding me of things we talk about on this podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah. we'll bring that up. And then I had to remember that like this is not a queer issue, but there are disabled members of the queer community. So we, I think we could discuss it very briefly. Sure. So if you haven't been keeping up with what's going on with Sia, Sia is a, a singer, obviously, a rather acclaimed singer. She released recently released a movie that she filmed four years ago and it's called music and it is the story of a severely autistic young girl who is a uh, non-verbal and it's a catastrophe it's <laughs> it 
got 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And even like the Rotten Tomatoes blurb says that it's like horribly offensive. Um, The main problem, there are many problems. The main problem is that the main character music, who's an autistic girl, is being played by Maddie Ziegler from Dance Moms, obviously. Because if you know anything about Sia, you know that Maddie Ziegler's in it. But she's playing an autistic person and uh, it's very offensive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, not only is Maddie Ziegler, like, able-bodied and, like, neurotypical, as far as we know, but, like, they put her in brown face. It's a whole yeah. messy, messy thing. And no one said anything about, like, why she had this tan. <laughs> because, like... Because Kate she Hansen's was supposed to be adopt an adopted biracial young woman. She's supposed to be adopted and biracial? Yeah. Isn't that What the fuck? Wild? What is why, why did that need to be... I mean, if you're going to yeah. cast Maddie Ziegler anyways, like, why not just, like, change the character? Because, like... It's just rubbing salt in the wound yeah. of like minorities to be like, no, not only am I going to make the actor be an able person, but also a white person with brown face on their face. But like why I wanted to bring this up on the podcast is because it's the exact conversation we've been having for many, many episodes of why it's important to have uh, the correct representation when it comes to who you're casting in your movies. Because the response to this movie has been a lot of autistic people saying that they feel like they're being made fun of by Maddie when they see what she believes are like the correct um, mannerisms. And also, I don't think a lot of this is Maddie's fault. A lot of people have come to that conclusion. Maddie was a child when this was filmed. She was 14. And she had a breakdown like the first day of rehearsal saying she didn't, she wanted to make sure nobody thought she was making fun of them. Like she was uncomfortable with the situation. And mm-hmm. Sia, the adult in the room, came to her and said, I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, So I, I don't blame Maddie. She was a child. Apparently, a lot of the mannerisms that she learned, <laughs> Sia came forward saying that like, we watched movies together and I taught her many of the mannerisms I learned from being around autistic people. So it was like <laughs> Sia... <laughs> a neurotypical person teaching these mannerisms to Maddie. So there's there's no um yeah, we shouldn't talk too much about this, but uh it's a if you want to be entertained for an afternoon and get really really furious about something, go look this up. And mm-hmm. cuz the the worst part is that it got nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah. And Sia is so tone deaf and there, she got all these tweets about, like, you didn't try hard enough to try and find a neurodivergent actor. And somebody said, like, I'm I'm a neurodivergent actress. So, like, I never heard anything. And Sia commented on it and said, maybe you're just a bad actor. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> like, I know gonna... I know we don't want to, like, dive into this too deep. But I know f- that originally she had cast yes. somebody yeah. who w- had autism or somebody who was on the autism spectrum for the main role. But that they had pulled out because... I think it made them uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not clear if they pulled out or if they were let go. Oh, no. So, um, but but that's another thing is the movie is like highly triggering to people with autism because there's a lot of like bright flashing lights. It's bizarre. I was watching a music video from the movie last night and it made me really mad. And that's why I am still talking about this because Sia just wants to pretend and like do this like overly saccharine rainbow bubbly lovey-dovey music video movie because it breaks into song and they go into these weird dumb music videos all the time and it's all about like how much we all love each other and rainbows and shit and it's like every single element of it is triggering to autistic people it's like Mm -hmm. bright 
bright flashing lights, loud music, bright colors. Um, and like people in the comments are like, I'm autistic. Does she not understand that? Like when I say I see the world differently, I don't mean that I hallucinate music videos mm-hmm. where people are like dressed as giant tampons with rainbows on their head. Yikes. And it's, it's, she's just trying to give herself like a warm, gushy feeling without knowing what she's talking about. And it made me so mad. And also... As far as I understand, there is a scene that features like holding Maddie down yes, restraint, in the middle yeah. of a meltdown, which is like the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do when somebody has a meltdown. Restraint can mm-hmm. make them hurt themselves and hurt you. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in addition, people have to- died. Yeah. From restraints. Yeah. <laughs> and in addition to that, Autism Speaks, which is, if you know anything about Autism Speaks, it's like basically a hate group of parents of people with autism who think of autism as like a demon that has taken over their children and like searching for a cure as opposed to like supporting people who are on the spectrum. (laughs) Um, And then it was, I guess, so offensive that even Autism Speaks pulled out and no longer endorses the movie. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, we should move on. But I just wanted to put that right at the top because um, all these things we're saying about like how important it is to include queer people in queer movies. It's like this is a perfect example of how that can go wrong when you just absolutely choose not to include the right people. Like the hashtags going around the movie music is uh, nothing about us without us, which I'm not going to appropriate for our means. But mm-hmm. I, um, but that is exactly what we're getting at is... Like, this is the worst case scenario of, like, if you were, I don't know, a well-meaning cisgender person that was like, I'm going to make this transgender movie. It's going to be great. Like, this is why it's so important to include transgender people in that conversation. Exactly. Because no one along the way told Sia, like, this is the most offensive piece of garbage (laughs) in history. But what we're actually talking about today is a very good example of good ways to include queer people in the writing room of... yes queer media so let's talk about shit's creek shit's creek before we even dive into it Catherine, what did you think of it more i wanted to ask you had seen part of it before right um okay so my roommate and his girlfriend had been watching it together and like had played a couple of episodes in the living room okay. so like i'd been like vaguely aware of it and knew that it was a funny show with dan levy but that's all i knew yeah, because I thought you were a fan because you kept saying, like, I really want to do a Shit's Creek episode. This has been on the docket for a long time, but mm-hmm. it's just, like, become such a part of the zeitgeist. I was like, yeah, sure. I loved it. I loved Shit's Creek. It was, I I saw, like, the pilot in the first couple episodes years ago, I think, when mm-hmm. it first came out. And for some reason, it didn't stick with me. And then now it did, which I have, like, a lot of theories about why that is. Ooh, I'm so curious. One, I was just, I think, too young and was, like, not interested <laughs> in uh, watching, like, fully adult humans Mm -hmm. rather than Degrassi in 2016 (laughs) um (laughs) but I think a lot of why it's become so huge even in just the last year has to do with the pandemic oh I think that like the story of COVID and the story of Shit's Creek are gonna always be linked um, yeah which we can get into later but I loved it how did you feel I've Forkin loved it. Um, I think that it was written beautifully. I think it was acted beautifully. I think the comedy was pretty timeless. Like, it wasn't so much of, um, like, laying out punchlines so much as, like, situational humor, which I really enjoyed. Um, Yeah. And just, like, fell in love with each and every character. And hate. (laughs) I mean, like, we'll get into it. But, yeah, I loved it. A plus. 
So what is Schitt's Creek? Schitt's Creek is a six-season Canadian television show sitcom created by father and son team Eugene and Dan Levy, which aired from January 2015 to April 2020. So ends right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic or at the beginning of the pandemic, I guess. In the beginning, it had like a small cult following, but um, it started picking up a lot after season three, I believe, because Netflix picked it up and it got that Netflix bump. And then when season six came out during the pandemic, its popularity just shot right up. You would think because, oh, because people are home and like binging television. But I think it's because of the themes. But we will get more into that. I think that we as as a world have some of us have changed. And that is why a lot of us <laughs> are taking a liking to Shit's Creek. Yeah, more I than agree. we would have before the pandemic. It's about the wealthy, privileged Rose family after their fortunes are embezzled by their business manager and they are forced to relocate to a small town they once purchased as a joke. Now posting up in a rundown motel in a quirky backwater town called Shit's Creek, they must start over without their fortunes to sustain them. It stars Eugene Levy as Johnny Rose, Catherine O'Hara as Moira, Dan Levy as David, Annie Murphy as Alexis, and also has Chris Elliott, Sarah Levy, Jennifer Robertson, and Emily Hampshire. Let's talk about the cast a bit. So you definitely, like, as an American viewer, you're going to recognize Eugene Levy. But from what I understand, he's he's an absolute icon in Canada. Mm-hmm. But you're going to recognize him here for um, that dumb movie series. <laughs> the American Pie series. His, yeah. Yeah. Where he sticks his penis in the pie. Um, but also a lot of great mockumentaries like Best in Show, where he mm-hmm. actually was with Catherine O'Hara. And Catherine O'Hara is just one of the greatest people ever. A legend. <laughs> yeah, ever. But they met at Second City. Yes. In Toronto? I think so. Which is a huge deal because like uh, Second City in like Chicago is where they just siphon SNL people out of. So this is like the Canadian equivalent of like our comedic royalty. But I think certainly Catherine O'Hara is the gem here. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Which is really fun that like the the brightest comedic voice on this entire show is certainly an older woman. Yes, and that never happens. I don't think anyone would argue with you that she is the most deft comedian on the show. You want to know something really funny about that? Catherine O'Hara didn't originally want to do this project. No. <laughs> she she um she was like I'd rather do nothing and be lazy. <laughs> well, she the exact quote cuz I thought it was so funny cuz she was like no, I don't think so. I'm too busy doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah, she cited her own laziness as not wanting to do a long-term project, but she did agree to, like, do the pilot. And then uh, Dan Levy asked his dad, he was like, um, so can you just ask her to be, like, year by year? Maybe we'll, if you don't want to sign back on, you don't have to. But, like, we think you're perfect, so do yeah. it. <laughs> well, it's, it would be hard to replace her. Like, she's oh, just God, yes. funnier than anyone there. Everyone there is very funny, but she's definitely the funniest there. And I assume you watched the, like, behind-the-scenes thing yeah. that's on Netflix. Yeah. And to see how intricately she was involved in her character. Mm-hmm. It did this whole, like, feminist thing in my head of just how in America we idolize these comedic icons. Like, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy... Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Martin Short. They're geniuses. The way we would think of like rap geniuses, or, you mm-hmm. know, they're geniuses. They're beyond reproach. And there aren't really like women on that list. There certainly are. You can definitely think of some like Carol Burnett. And, mm-hmm. But like 
they're not usually included. And it's like Catherine O'Hara is certainly of that level. Oh, God, That she is a genius the way that Eddie Murphy is a genius, you know? So funny to the point that, like, watching her be funny, you want to analyze it. It's not just, like, a funny person. It's like she was made to be the funniest person in pretty much any room she's ever come into (laughs) and it it, so it did this whole like feminist thing in my head of like the 30 rock episode of like name one funny woman and it's like why don't we talk about Catherine o'hara more Uh, (laughs) i think now with like the schitt's creek renaissance going on well it's not a renaissance but the schitt's creek blitzkrieg happening people are certainly talking about Catherine o'hara a lot more She's always been mm-hmm. famous, but not like, you know, not Martin Short famous. But I'm just going to keep going on about Catherine O'Hara. But just yeah. so many of her quirks are her. The The weird accent is Catherine O'Hara. The uh, style was her. The idea for the wigs was her. Mm-hmm. For a part she wasn't that interested in doing, she did it really, really well. Which, let's go back to Sia for a second. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've been told, like, you're not a good feminist if you pit women against each other. I think that's bullshit because I'm not a feminist. I'm a witch. Uh, so <laughs> You're the fucking lizard king. The th- I'm the king of lizards. Um, so the thing that like another thing that really bothered me about Sia last night when I was reading about her was she was talking about how she wrote the movie and the music movie we were talking about earlier and she said she had a co-writer and that her method is she likes to she knows all the dialogue and she can say all the dialogue out loud and she can say how it goes out loud but she she doesn't think it's worth her time to learn Final Draft, which is um, screenwriting software, because you have to have screenwriting software because screenwriting has um, very, very strict formatting, more so than any other medium. But she was like, it's not worth her time to learn Final Draft. That's for somebody else. And she was like, that's the same thing for like when I'm working on music. Like I just can't stand the technical part. It like it makes me nauseous. And uh, then she was talking about like the editing process and why this movie took four years to come out. And she was like, I just couldn't find the right editor. Nobody could capture the magic I was trying to create. And like I, I actually like threw up one time working on it. And it's like, well, because you apparently you can't do hard work. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. What what I'm what's refreshing is here's a real working woman, Catherine O'Hara, who is putting herself into every facet of this character, even though it's a show that she's only kind of doing as a favor, but is still working the hell out of it, like still doing the best job she can. Mm-hmm. And let's be real, she made this character. Like Moira was written well to begin with, but like the quirks that Moira has that make her such an icon all came from Catherine O'Hara's brain. This show is so good that it has won one million awards no that was an exaggeration i'm sorry um it won two actra awards 18 canadian screen awards critics choice television award for best comedy series two screen actors guild award nominations for outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series and a total of 19 primetime emmy award noms including outstanding comedy series twice of those 19 Emmy nominations that they've gotten, 15 came from the final season, where it swept all seven major comedy awards. So outstanding comedy series, writing for a comedy, directing for a comedy series, and it set a record by winning all four of the major acting categories for lead actor and actress and supporting actor and actress for all four of the main characters, Catherine That's O'Hara, really Annie Murphy, and both of the Levy men. It's cute. It also set a new record for the most Emmys won by a comedy series in a single season, beating the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's record in 2018. Which means both beat the record for Big Bang Theory, which is a win yes! in the universe. It's fuck Big Bang Theory. God damn it. 
Thank God. Should we talk about the bad? Yeah. So at the top of before we like go deep dive into whatever media we're talking about, we like to do this thing where we take the bad or the problematic things about a piece of media and we set them aside. We call them out. We set them aside and then we do our deep dives. Um, Catherine, what did you find that was bad or problematic in Schitt's Creek? So the very same thing you did is <laughs> that uh, it's very white. There's like one black person in the whole movie, whole show. Yeah. And she is not a main character. No, and she's a minimal character. They are Jewish, but yeah, there's no racial diversity in this show. It is about small town Canada, though. Which is, I assume, whiter than Portland, Oregon. But I don't know. But also, I don't know either. We shouldn't use excuses. I'm to... not trying to excuse it. I was yeah. more no, no, trying I'm to not saying it. you. I'm saying <laughs> as as a practice as humans, we shouldn't just go. Well, it's supposed to, you know, realistically, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. How did the show come to be? So Dan Levy came up with this idea, separate from his mother, who also came up with a similar idea, while he was watching reality TV. And in one interview with Out.com, he said, I was concentrating on what would happen if one of these wealthy families would lose everything. Would the Kardashians still be the Kardashians without their money? It was also inspired by Kim Bassinger purchasing Brazeltown, Georgia, in 1989 for $20 million. <laughs> and separately, Dan Levy's mother came up with, who is uh, Deborah Devine and also a screenwriter. She kind of inspired the name of the show. She had been working on this idea of a television series in which like boomer parents lost their money and had to move in with their kids. And Eugene Levy was quoted as saying, the situation was described as being up Shit's Creek. It just made us laugh. And that eventually har, har, became har. the name of the show. Didn't this... It just hit me that this is actually, like, the plot of The Simple Life. Is it really? Oh. Isn't it? Yeah, kinda. Isn't that what they used to do? I never watched it. I didn't either. But, like, they would take Paris Hilton and they'd make her go, like, milk cows and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that with the Kardashians. I want to see The oh, Simple God, Life so with Kendall funny. and... What's the other one? Kylie. Kylie. Oh, God, that'd be so good. And Harry Styles shows up and he's like, here, I bought you guys some gloves because we used to date, wink, wink. <laughs> that was an, um, a perfect impersonation of Harry yeah. Styles. <laughs> <laughs> so they pitched the idea of Shit's Creek to HBO and Showtime, who both passed on the idea. Stupid. Stupid of you. Um, but both ABC in America and CBC in Canada expressed interest. Though there is this reputation around ABC for um, exerting creative interference into works. So they ultimately decided to go with CBC in Canada. Interesting. Yeah, they wanted more creative control. So ABC was just not the right fit. For sure, no. Because they were not about to make a sexy TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, no. They're about to make something really weird. And like the name became super controversial. Did you hear about this? I don't know how they pulled this off. The second I started watching it, I was like, how are they allowed to say shit? Because it's spelled S-C-H. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like they're still saying shit. They are. <laughs> like I don't know. Like, like semantics. The, like I don't the know how they got away with it. is literally Roland shit, which is yeah, rolling in shit. Say in, like the first 10 minutes of the movie. He's like, hello, I'm rolling shit. And I'm like, how did they say this on TV? <laughs> but like, remember that whole episode of South Park where they were like allowed to say shit the first time? No. Which one was that? Remember? And 
I, I think it was shit. I don't think it was fuck. It was like there was an episode of South Park. I want to say it, it was a long time ago and they were allowed to say shit and they said it like 200 times, but they got like permission from the network to say shit for the first time. So that's like in my head. So I was like, why are they, how are they allowed to say shit? Well, <laughs> Cause it was such a big deal on South Park. Like the, um, CBC wanted them to change the name. They were like, um, this is kind of a problem for us. And Dan Levy was like, no, it's a real last name, I promise. And like brought a phone book to a meeting with them and was like, look, there's a whole page of people whose last name is shit. And finally, CBC agreed to let them keep their title. Well, like, it's not even CBC. It's not even the network. I don't know how they got it past like standards and practices. Like, I don't know how everybody said sure we could put this on the airwaves well, saying a shit. lot of places especially in the united states have censored the name or shortened it and even put like disclaimers what? before it just creek i think shit sh- 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 creek sh- <laughs> creek that makes that makes sense yeah um i'm looking up the shit i want to know what the South park episode yeah it hits the fan is what it was called oh that's funny it hits the fan this is straight from wikipedia is the fifth season premiere of the American television series South Park and the 66th episode of the series overall. It is also the second episode of season five, blah, blah, blah. It first aired on Comedy Central in the United States on June 20th, 2001. In the episode, after the word shit is said uncensored on network television crime show cop drama, everyone starts saying the word repeatedly. This eventually brings on a mysterious plague, blah, blah, blah. Executives at Comedy Central felt the profanity was justified by contacts and decided to allow the episode to be broadcast uncensored, which surprised even the show's developers okay so this is different than how i remembered it i remember it as like they said you can have one episode that says shit and so they said it like 500 <laughs> times i remember they had a counter like on the screen that was counting every time they yeah. said it yeah. <laughs> just despite broadcasting a record-setting amount of profanity little controversy was stirred by the broadcast co-creator matt stone explained the passive reception by citing changing cultural standards no one cares anymore the standards are standards are almost gone no one gives a shit or a bullshit according to dvd commentary they were only going to say the word a few times which comedy central would not allow however when parker and stone came up with the idea that they would say it like 200 times (laughs) comedy central was fine with it the episode was selected as number eight on Comedy Central's 2006 marathon of 10 South Parks that changed the world. So, um, I mean, that could definitely have set the, made it possible for Shit's Creek to later come along. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they made it possible to say shit on TV. Thank God for Anyways, that. Anyways, <laughs> there's a little tidbit in shit history for you. So what makes the story of Shit's Creek so good is its characters. And we've like kind of touched on that like talking a little bit about Catherine O'Hara but I gotta be real like every single character is so fleshed out and having Dan Levy as one of the head writers on the show really pulls this comedy in like a younger direction it's quick it's snappy it's clever even though it's a sitcom it does not require a laugh track and every character well all of the main characters of the story begin the series as a caricature of the bourgeoisie placed in this regular small town situation that forces them to grow out of like their selfish, childish behaviors and grow up. And one of the interesting things about this show is um, there have certainly been like eat the rich kind of shows. Like we all kind of want to eat the rich a lot. Of course we do. We're hungry. It's certainly something I w- would believe is one of my mantras is eat the rich. And it starts that way where they want to make you laugh at how bourgeoisie these characters are but the whole point of the show ends up being the merit of like the blending of the classes 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Rather than the destruction of the upper class, because they all gain things from each other. Name one thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, Stevie becomes a businesswoman. She proves to herself that she could live in a big city if she wanted to, but she doesn't. Patrick comes out of the closet, which he probably never would have if he didn't meet David. Mm-hmm. Roland becomes a business partner. What's her name? His wife. Jocelyn. Jocelyn becomes like, uh, she can stand up for herself more when she's around Moira. She learns to be a bit angrier and say what she wants. There's tons of stuff that changes on their side as well. And all of the main family character arcs are so clear and so concise. Um, So Johnny Rose, played by Eugene Levy, starts off as this man who's like built an empire of video stores um, that made up the whole Rose family fortune, which I looked it up and like what the estimated value of the Rose family was was like two billion dollars yeah like that's definitely the vibe you get because you find out that like uh schitt's creek those they almost sell it for a million dollars in the first season Mm -hmm. so for him to have bought that as a gag gift they can't be like 15 million dollars rich like that has to be like chump change to them exactly so you would assume it's like the fortune of someone who owned blockbuster exactly until you know netflix came around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's see how he's doing. <laughs> Guy who owned Blockbuster. <laughs> but after all that money stolen from them, Johnny's arc becomes this one of like learning um humility and like having to get your hands dirty in order to rebuild yourself. And then comes Moira. Um Moira's character grew up in a small town a lot like Shits Creek. And she goes into depth about how much she hated it. And that she escaped by putting on this like larger than life persona that landed her a gig on a soap opera. So she is she has national acclaim as the best actress on what was it called? Sunrise Bay. Sunrise Bay. That's it. And being put back into a small town like against her will is her worst nightmare. It is interesting because Johnny and Moira both originally like they are self-built it's implied, I don't think it's ever said, that Johnny didn't come from money. Like, he built up his money. And you can see that because he has good business practices and, like, rebuilds an empire by the end of it. So they created all this stuff for themselves. And then we have their foils and their children who have always come from opulence and money and now have nothing and have to learn how to be their parents basically exactly we start with alexis who starts the show as classic spoiled rich socialite girl who has never done a single thing in her life for herself but over the course of the show she has to learn how to be self-reliant she admits at some point through the show that she like never graduated from high school and she attends a college course and learns how to market herself and ends up being a publicist. The biggest change for her, because we start with her heavily relying on whatever boyfriend she's with. Stavros. Yeah, she's dating Stavros and he's supposed to come save her and everything. And we uh, we see that that's most of her identity is, you know, she mooshes off her parents and she is going to find a man who's going to be the one who brings her to yachts, parties and things like that and has no identity of her own apart from that, and um, kind of continues with those practices early on when she gets to Shit's Creek. Like, that's the reason she dates Ted, the veterinarian, because he's, like, the closest to dating a doctor. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, but ends up changing and 
learns not to get her uh, identity from the like title of the man she's dating, but from being in an actual relationship. Yeah, and she actually makes one of the most mature decisions in the show is like she ends up having to break it off with Ted, not because there's love lost between them, but because circumstances have driven them apart. Their respective dream jobs have presented themselves to them and they can't make it work because of locations. And when Alexis leaves Schitt's Creek, she does so flying solo, no longer relying on her family or her connections to get her ahead. She's doing it all by herself. Because she's been a publicist for her mom and she's going to get a job at the fake version of Netflix in this world. (laughs) It was like Interflex. Interflex or something. But that brings us to arguably the lead of the show. I've seen a lot of people say that. And I was like, I I don't know if I just had an affinity for him because he's a queer character. But yeah, I do think that David is arguably the lead of the show, as evidenced by the choice he makes at the end. Mm -hmm. So David begins as somebody who has such deep insecurities and trust issues that he like hides behind this mask of judgment and like makes a lot of razor sharp wit comments about people's appearance and like their amount of money and all kinds of things. But he ends up finding his first ever real friend in Stevie, who becomes the owner of the motel. And he learns how to open himself up enough in order to find love in Patrick who is his business partner that he marries in the final episode of the show. And the choice that you were referring to, I assume, is that he's the only one of the Roses to stay in Schitt's Creek. Which I had finally pointed out to me that this show begins because Schitt's Creek was given to him as a gag gift. Mm -hmm. And it ends up actually being a life-changing gift for David because he meets his husband there. He starts a business there and he buys a home there and and has his life in Schitt's Creek. And he's the only one who chooses to stay. And that was actually wild to me because I was like, I can't believe they're leaving. (laughs) I wanted everybody to stay. But I think um, we are from a smaller town so to us it's not natural to just assume that we're trying to get back to a big city you know if we had to downsize like we both live in cities now but madison and i are from a smaller town so we know the charm because well because schitt's creek is also just like it's an idyllic small town it doesn't have Mm -hmm. all of the problems that we had with our town true i mean it's way smaller than our small town it's much smaller yes but also by choice there's no homophobia. They chose not to represent any homophobia in Schitt's Creek, which is not true to life. You're not going to find these tiny towns like this that are going to be where you can just be gay and, and a member of the community. And you're not going to find not hate speech and yeah. racism and stuff like that. So in that way, Schitt's Creek is entirely fictional. But that was a choice on the part of Dan Levy to create this like idyllic homophobia-free zone, which is a choice we talk about a lot on this podcast is like the are you going to choose to do the like painful coming out story where you get the shit beaten out of you or are you gonna just let gay people be gay people in a story you know like Yuri on Ice like Yuri on Ice yeah I mean yeah um Dan Levy says that he has a self-professed lack of patience for homophobia driven storylines and for queer tragedy story tropes which is something that we criticize a lot on this podcast yeah it's fair um as n- not necessary. <laughs> so something that I really 
love about the queer representation in Schitt's Creek, in addition to the fact that there's like baked into it that there's no homophobia, even though there is one point where it's like the presumption of homophobia when uh, Johnny Rose accidentally outs Patrick to his parents and he's not sure how they're going to react. Um, their reaction is never like, oh God, our son is gay. It's more of a shock. Oh God, why didn't our son feel like he could tell us this thing about himself? Yeah. This is a very like significant LGBT episode. So we should we should talk in depth about this one. Yes. So David is dating a man who formerly thought of himself as straight, Patrick, and he's figuring his shit out while dating David. But the the world we've set up in Shit's Creek is like it's just so normal for them to be gay that you start to take it for granted. And Mm -hmm. uh, the dad, Johnny, just like thinks of his son being gay is like totally normal. And then we have this bit of a like reality check when he meets Patrick's parents thinking it's like, oh, I'm meeting my boyfriend's like you know the future in-laws and says you know like oh mm-hmm. hi like our boys blah 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 and the parents are like what the fuck they're dating we thought we were just meeting his business partner you know but the episode ultimately yeah it it goes in such a different way than most gay sitcoms would go like you wouldn't expect will and grace to go uh forgive the pun but it wouldn't use as much grace in its storytelling oh. of this um it's not used for like comedic effect of like oh how zany is not fraser you know of like oh my god we have to hide that he's gay we have to, you know something like that it's the focus immediately shifts to david saying i'm sorry that you've been like forced out in this way this is a, something you need to decide for yourself when you come out no one else can decide it for you and I'm sorry that like this is happening and like and the comedy comes from him being like too uh like are you okay like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. rather than the zaniness of like how are we gonna hide this from the parents which is a very new shift in queer storytelling in sitcoms god yes and that's what I love about Schitt's Creek is because queerness although part of the comedy is never the butt of the joke this show never punches down We're talking about a community that is impoverished, largely, and like poverty isn't a joke and like queerness isn't a joke, but Schitt's Creek plays on the satire of like these people who have fallen from grace and flourish in that self-deprecation of their own privilege and absurdity. Um, David is also one of the very first openly pansexual characters in media that speaks openly about their pansexuality. Are there any other pansexual characters in anything? There are. I looked up a whole list. Do you want me to read it off? Yeah, let's do it. And I'll tell you if I've heard of them or not. Oh, you've heard (laughs) of some of them. Okay. They just don't like use the word pansexual in all of these things. Here, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Yeah. I'll go get a glass of wine. Oh, yeah. Let's both get a glass of wine and have a uh, pan off. I'll sip if I know who the character is. And so (laughs) this is either going to be I'll get drunk because there's good residue. Uh, representation or I'll stay sober because there isn't good representation. (laughs) Okay, let's go get some wine and we'll do this. We'll do this. Okay, wine at the ready? I have my wine. You're gonna laugh pretty hard at this first one. Is it Spongebob? No, no, no. Spongebob's ace. Spongebob's ace. asexual. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm ready. Ready? Yeah. So you're gonna drink every time I I say a name that you recognize. Okay. Lando Calrissian. <laughs> That's true. He is a pansexual. <laughs> I did laugh. I didn't even mean to. I, <laughs> I disassociated for a second. <laughs> Lord Boxman in 
okay ko let's be horses no what <laughs> i know i don't know wait say that again lord boxman yes in okay ko let's be horses great love it rose quartz in steven universe i know who that is i haven't seen steven universe but i know who that is so i'm gonna drink all right roger in american dad the alien the alien okay rick sanchez in rick and morty (laughs) is he (laughs) yeah because when uh when unity becomes uh Mm. when she takes over that hive mind planet he sleeps with all kinds of different there's everybody's in there great good for him love that for him great um deadpool yeah that's true crowley in supernatural crowley in supernatural apparently that's very um like subversive for supernatural it is okay well i know a lot of these people so far this is gonna be an issue for the rest of the episode Mm -hmm. all right jack harkness from doctor who and torchwood really isn't he just gay okay (laughs) klaus hargreaves from the umbrella academy Really? I think he's just gay. <laughs> he, okay, I didn't watch a lot of it, but he definitely only talked about dudes. Imogen Moreno from Degrassi, The Last Generation. She's a lesbian. <laughs> she, I don't know. Um, I said The Last Generation. I, I think she's pan. Generation. I don't I don't know. I rewatched Degrassi. <laughs> she, is she pansexual? I guess. She's she on dates, the list of pansexual characters. Um, She dates a boy, but that's... But, like, it's debatable because she only mm. dates girls. I don't know. I'll I'll take your word for it. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue to any of the pansexual people listening who are like, stop arguing. I will stop arguing. And I'll just drink. Ola Nyman from Sex Education. Ola. Loki of the Marvel yes. Cinematic yes, that Universe. Is true. That's definitely true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I would just like to say this is not an endorsement of the existence of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's still, it's still a blight on humanity. But I will agree that Loki is certainly pansexual. And those are all of the ones that I recognize as. There's so many more, though, like that I skipped because I was like, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Wow. Okay. So I thought that there. General Hospital. I didn't think there were going to be that many. So it's very interesting. Almost none of them talk about the fact that they are pansexual. Right. Oh, that. I mean, how many times did I stop and go, no exactly that's really okay that's really interesting like how many times i was like imogen's not pansexual right Um, the dip which brings us right into the fantastic wine metaphor the wine metaphor it's one of the best metaphors the fantastic wine metaphor very good me hitting the wine glass thank you i'm so proud of you great now you have to to talk about the wine metaphor. we try to do sober podcasts now and now you have to deal with me Okay, set the wine aside and give us the wine metaphor. Where this comes from is, so David is seems very gay. I, I believe Dan Levy identifies as gay. I'm not sure. Um, but he, he seems very outwardly stereotypically gay. And at the end of the first season, he hooks up with his female best friend, which I first, I knew that the show was going to get gay. Obviously, we were doing it for this podcast. I took that as like, a weird like them trying to make him a straight character thing like you know um and then when we got to the metaphor i was like okay they're actually doing something really groundbreaking with this they were specifically trying to subvert expectation with him hooking up with stevie a woman they wanted you to think he was gay 
And then they have this conversation. And Stevie says, okay, uh, I only drink red wine. And up until last night, I was under the impression that you too only drink red wine. But I guess I was wrong. And David says, I see where you're going with this. I do drink red wine, but I also drink white wine. And I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. And a couple summers back, I tried a Merlot that used to be a Chardonnay, which got a bit complicated. Stevie says, okay, so you're just really open to all wines. And David said, I like the wine and not the label. Can you hear me snapping? Good work, Dan Levy. And uh, I believe it's in the the Netflix documentary about the making of Shit's Creek. They said that they get a lot of letters from viewers saying that they use that actual metaphor like to their parents yep. to describe themselves, which reminds me of back when Modern Family came out. They used to get a lot of letters of like the two gay characters helped people come out to their parents because parents liked the show and they'd be like, see, I'm, I'm not that weird. I'm just like Cam and, you know, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, Modern Family would certainly be like a more conservative queer media given the tw- now in the 20s, you know. It wasn't at the yeah. time, but now. So it just, it's like the uh, natural progression of that, that n- this show now gives everyone a metaphor to use for uh, not just being like a white cisgender gay man. This is um, a pansexual metaphor or a bisexual metaphor, you know? Exactly. And like you said before that you are pretty sure that Dan Levy uh, labels himself as gay. So he has largely avoided labeling his sexuality at all publicly. Um, Interesting. But he does consider himself a member of the LGBT community, and he did once refer to himself as gay in 2020. But gay can be very all-encompassing. Yes. Like, like Kristen Stewart calls herself gay. <laughs> that's her. I call myself gay, and I'm extremely pansexual. There you go. And that's something I really like about this show, because David is openly pansexual. Right. He uses the label. Like, uh, I think Johnny Rose is talking to Roland shit about... He's drunkenly talking to Roland about what his son's sexuality is and how he's, like, very proud of him for being himself. And Roland's like, what's pansexual? Is that, like, cookware? And Johnny's like, no, it's just, like, whatever, man. (laughs) But even Patrick, who goes on to marry him, never really puts a label on it. He's like, been attracted to women and he's very attracted to David. Speaking of Degrassi! (laughs) (laughs) this has become an unofficial Degrassi episode his oh uh, no his ex-fiance that shows up and we find out that like he when we hear a bit more of like Patrick's backstory um his ex-fiance is played by Stacey Farber who played Ellie in the original Degrassi when I saw her show up I was like are there no other actors in Canada (laughs) but apparently (laughs) but apparently she's best she's best friends with Dan Levy so also like David and Patrick's relationship this is so groundbreaking, too, is the central love story in Shit's Creek. Yes. Like, yes, we have Alexis in a relationship with Ted, and that ends. But, like, the culmination of the show is the wedding between Patrick and David. And I think this also, is, we've mentioned this a little bit, but this speaks to David's character arc being the widest. Like, he's the only rose that stays in Shit's Creek. And he does that because he found love there. I really love the ending when everyone else is leaving and uh, he's considering going to New York with his sister and he's talked to Patrick because they're they're about to get married and kind of said, we're going to New York. And he's like, OK, you know, and obviously doesn't want to go. But like they it's what's happening. 
because Patrick had, I guess, put an offer on a house and it was a house that David had been in love with. So David's staring at the house with his best friend, Stevie, and she's like pleading with him, like, why are you leaving? Stay here because they're best friends. Before he came to Schitt's Creek, he was like this just aimless like party boy without much substance, like uh, no real relationship. He He's having this conversation with Stevie where she's like, why do you want to go back to New York to be around these people who've only ever hurt your feelings? And he says, because he wants to prove to them that he's not a joke and that he won, you know? And she's like, David, look at this house. You won. And that really Mm -hmm. gets at like why I think this show hit different during COVID is because it's not huge, but it's a beautiful house and he's going to live in it with a man he loves and he has a store that he likes running that he started himself with his his best friend lives in the town, which are all kind of ideals that I think we've come to appreciate more since COVID began. I agree. At least I have personally. And I just kind of noticed this weird uptick and interest in Schitt's Creek not just because it was the last season like we were we were watching this a few weeks ago right the show had been over for a Mm -hmm. while I mean it was like Super Bowl Sunday I remember because we were watching the Super Bowl at work Dan Levy was in a Super Bowl commercial and I said something like oh I'm watching Schitt's Creek right now and one of the prop guys next to me was like I'm watching it right now too and we just were like gushing about like it and so you know it's not even tied to the fact that the it's the end of the show because it's been over for a while And there's so many people watching it right now. I think it's tied to this. There's this new sense of appreciation for these small things in life. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because all of the like big, like going out, going to Coachella, none of that exists right now. Right. And it's probably not going to for a while longer. 2024 going to be lit. And all we can do is find, yeah, <laughs> all we can do right now is find solace in the things that bring us real joy when we're cut off from the outside world. Right. And for David, like, that's love in a place where his best friend lives, in a place where he's opened his very own business by himself for the first time. Because mm-hmm. we find out earlier in the series that He's run art galleries before, but they only stayed afloat because his mom was purchasing his art behind the scenes. And this is the first time he's done something by himself. I mean, in in conglomeration, in in collaboration with his business partner at the time, Patrick, who becomes his boyfriend and his husband. Mm -hmm. But he's like had to learn how to work as a team. He's had to learn how to be a leader. He's... I just think his character arc is the strongest. And that's why I think you're right when you say he's the main he's character. arguably the lead of the show. He's got main character energy. Sure does. Um, and like, how often does that happen when the main character is a queer person? And not just a queer person, but like, it's something besides the the L and the G, which is great, which is fantastic. It's a letter that's not even in the acronym. I saw, my God, I read... <laughs> A paper that was comparing 30 Rock to Schitt's Creek. And it was very illuminating um, because 30 Rock used to be my favorite show and is not anymore because I rewatched it during the pandemic and was like, wow, this is very problematic. Bummer, dude. Yeah. But anyways, it was like, these are two pieces of media that I know very well. And so it was a very interesting comparison between the two. But my (laughs) biggest problem with the paper was that their acronym was like LGBTSQ2+, something like that. What? (laughs) And I was like trying to unravel this. Let me see if I can find it because I never looked it up. Let's see. L 
loss for what the S is. Q two or it was yeah two Qs plus. I can't find it anywhere. Um, <laughs> they made it up. Oh, here LGBT SQ two plus. Oh, this is interesting. LGBT LGBT two QQ IAAP. <laughs> what in the world? Once again, for those in the back, LGBT two QQ IAAP. <laughs> I'm drunk. Um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. <laughs> Two-spirit, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, agender, pansexual. You know what I prefer? There's a point where you just say queer. <laughs> queer. Yeah. Or, you know what I've heard on TikTok? What? Rainbow Mafia. I like Rainbow that. Rainbow Mafia. That's great. I, I'm just sad that, like, we're the ones that got stuck with doing an acronym. And so now it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I, I Bigger. This one, okay, because I know I saw one that was wild. Like, I, I was, like, at Powell's or something, and I saw it, and I believe it's this one, this LGBT. T2 <laughs> LGBT2 QQIAAP. Oh my lord. Is too much. Um I feel like everybody should be represented in the acronym we decide to use as a community, but this is a lot, man. I I have moved over to saying like the GRSM community. I've mentioned this once before on season 1 of the podcast where it is uh gender romantic and sexual minorities and i'll throw that out there but uh i would love to push away from acronyms if like if there was some revolution that changed what it's called i would be like no acronyms because we know what happens it will eventually turn into and i quote lgbt2qqiaap See, the one that I'm seeing is LGBTQQIP2SAA. What? (laughs) (laughs) We can't even agree on our horrifically long acronyms? No, we cannot. Anyways, back to the show. So this was something that first I was like, this is probably problematic, but I saw it brought up so often that I was like, I guess it's not problematic that um, Moira Rose has become a gay icon for the gay men. I love that for her. Like, on track with, like, Cher. Right. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. That it's, like, that's one of our uh, generation's addition to the pantheon of gay icons is Moira Rose, which I'm, gl- I'm proud to share the first name of Catherine with her. Uh, yes. <laughs> apparently, um, she has been inducted into, like, the Hall of Fame of... of gay icons where there are I I mean this all like metaphorically they hold you know Moira Rose nights where everybody dresses up as her and uh talk like her and you know she drinks wine and she's campy and she's over the top and she is apparently like the mom that a lot of like campy gay men wish that they could have had and I've seen this brought up so much that it's like it I'm like, wow, I missed this. This is apparently like a huge part of the mostly, you know, gay male community. Mostly the gay white community male. Sorry. Mostly the gay white male community gloms onto these like strong female figures, which is very cool. Like we have got Cher, we've got Lady Gaga, um, Madonna was one. I love to see that. Moira Rose, who, even though she's a fictional character, is like this larger than life, over dramatic, very sure of who she is kind of person. Um, I think it just speaks to like that outspoken femininity that a lot of gay men like wish they had in their youth. 
and like might not might not have necessarily been able to express um especially like back in our hometown like that was not an okay thing to be was a flamboyantly out gay man the only people we knew who were flamboyant and out were generally ostracized yeah for it there were like two at our school and he wasn't even yeah. that flamboyant <laughs> i know <laughs> pretty androgynous like as far as people go i'm i'm seeing this uptick in tiktok of women being like i want to be feminine in the way that men can be feminine and i think it's not necessarily response to but like is related to that thing where gay men are like i want to be feminine in the way that women are feminine i just want to say that like one of the reasons i loved schitt's creek so much was because it really was groundbreaking um media like this is extremely important and we've talked about this on the podcast before but like for starters representation is important and new forms of representation is really important and i think that schitt's creek is a turn in our queer media zeitgeist um we're still really at the tail end i mean we're not really still in new queer cinema but like we're taking a really distinct turn now and you know normalizing queer identities in a way that no longer makes them seem outside of the norm um because they're not like queer people are just people who experience stories in the same way as straight people and cis people And those stories deserve to be heard just as much as the straight cis stories, even when they're not directly related to our queerness. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a big thing about Schitt's Creek is it's it's not like a queer show. It just has queer characters living their lives. And because the queerness is not the central part of the story, we get to see nuanced uh, relationship issues between him and Patrick Mm -hmm. and different emotional developments apart from just we made it we're gay and we made it you know yeah there's never a time where david and patrick have to fight to be together because of their queerness it's Mm -hmm. always they fight to be together because they've run into a roadblock in their relationship and they need to they need to make the same compromises that in any other relationship right like their their biggest problems stem from like david being flighty and not knowing how to commit to a relationship, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and Patrick being, like, v- vanilla and pure and <laughs> too good. <laughs> He's such a sweet boy. Yeah. Um, which are just, could be any relationship. Also, I just want to say, um, <laughs> I saw one review video of Shit's Creek compare David and Patrick to Ross and Rachel from Friends. Ew, I, no, um, absolutely. What? Way no. better than Ross no, and no, Rachel no, no, from no, Friends. No, 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 no. Ross and Rachel Lord. are one of the worst relationships in TV history. Are you kidding? How are they like Ross and Rachel? Who is Ross? No, Who no, is no, no, Rachel? No. <laughs> what, You're because one of shit. them uses hair products and the other one is a nerd? <laughs> no! They weren't comparing them in, like, personality. They were comparing them in, like, relevance oh, to okay. media. You, ooh, um, I got triggered. <laughs> I know. When I saw that, too, I was like, no! No. <laughs> I lost my mind. Because um, we're actually seeing very healthy relationships, very healthy queer relationships manifest on screen, as opposed to Ross and Rachel, which are 
monstrously mismatched. Yes. And it's all Ross's fault. Ross is a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. There's nothing wrong with Rachel. It's all Ross. Ross is a piece of shit. Maybe someday we can do like an anti-friends tirade. But today is not that day. Today is not the day. But let it be known, the position of this podcast is that Ross is a piece of shit. And altogether, Friends is kind of a piece of shit. Friends is also kind of a piece of shit. With that, let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Sure. Anyways, what are we... uh, This is the end of our Shit's Creek episode. But next week, if you'd like to join us again, we'll be watching The Handmaiden. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is a very long movie in a different language. Not The Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaiden. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, don't go watching The Handmaid's Tale. That's not what we asked. I've been pitching The Handmaiden since we started this podcast, and we're finally doing it. So uh, if you'd like to watch along with us, it's available on the internet. I don't know. Yeah, so that was what we'll be watching next week. And apart from that, you've been listening to Queer Pressure Podcasts and our critical explorations of queer media as a continued practice of self-love with Katherine Johnson. And Maddie Gray. Hey, you! If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing, following, or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. It really, really helps a small, self-funded podcast like us to get exposure like that. So if you are inclined, please leave us a review. You can also follow us on social media. We post memes, new episode announcements, and polls every week now that we are back in business. If you want to follow us, search for at QueerPressurePC on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Once again, that's at Queer Pressure PC for podcast, not for Pelican Cafe. Nice work. Thank Thank you for joining us. We'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. And as always, fuck the police.